Howdy, welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee, and this week I had the pleasure of interviewing Pastor Jared Longshore about his brand new book, The Case for the Christian Family, The Covenantal Solution for the Dissolving American Family. Don't miss the foreword by Pastor Douglas Wilson as well. It's available at canonpress.com and wherever you get your books. Before we get started, I wanted to ask again that if you guys are enjoying the content at Canon Press, no matter the podcast, whether it's this one or SAS or Blog and May Blog, what have you, and the rest, please go leave them a rating and a review this Christmas. It really goes a long way. Not only for those podcasts, it helps the publisher. It's a kindness that's freely given. So if you've been listening to Nancy's podcast, Femina, go give her a rating and review, and the same for the rest. We really greatly appreciate it. Now, without further ado, meet Pastor Jared Longshore. All right, now welcoming on special guest, recurring guest, Pastor Jared Longshore. Welcome back to Canon Call, sir. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, You're on today because we're talking about your brand new book, The Case for the Christian Family. That's it. Uh, now, Jared, everybody, I'm sure, uh, has, knows who you are, knows where you've been. There's a lot of context for a book like this, I feel like, mm-hmm. yeah. that makes it yeah. super fun. <laughs> Very much and so. exciting. <laughs> um, can you tell us just a little bit about the book? Like, where did this, where did, uh, where did a book on, on Covenant, how did that come up? In your life. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. How much time do we have? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Well, when I went off to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, I was told that New Covenant Theology was there. New Covenant Theology is kind of like a broad movement. Um, And I I was told, particularly there, it was kind of like this kind of washed out broad place. So, And I was going there from more of a full Reformed Baptist perspective, which would be uh, very different than John MacArthur, and even different than like a John Piper, different than a Gospel Coalition-y kind of thing. Like the Reformed Baptists are kind of like your um, OPC version of Baptist life. Okay. So I was going so there. very confessional. Yeah, confessional, regulative principle, continuity of the law, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so I was going into Southern, and I remember being, you know, mocked because I believed in the fourth, the fourth commandment was binding, you know. Okay. Uh, the guy's like, they're gonna, Jared's going to call his son Decalogue Dodd, you know, I mean, <laughs> things of that nature. Okay. Um, if you would have asked me at that time, what is the relationship between the covenant of grace and the various um, administrations uh, in the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, David, I wouldn't have had a solid answer for you. But I knew that I wasn't New Covenant, and I knew that I saw a lot of continuity, particularly among uh, along the lines of law. Um, I don't know, maybe seven years ago now, um, a movement called 1689 Federalism came out of the works. It was basically an online deal. Samuel Renahan, the Baptist in California, uh, wrote a fantastic, uh, I think it's a PhD dissertation from somewhere across the pond, huge thick book called From Shadow to Substance that recovers 17th century English Baptist covenant theology. 
which basically from shadow to substance in his title communicates the main idea. Um, the covenant of grace was revealed in the Old Testament, but it was not administered in the Old Testament or it was not uh, inaugurated in the Old Testament. It was revealed in the Old Testament and inaugurated, formalized in, in the new covenant. Um, so the Old Testament saints were still saved by that covenant of grace in some sense, but not in it actually being cut and administered, which is a different covenantal structure than kind of traditional Pado-Baptist covenant theology, which is one covenant and two administrations. So that whole 1689 thing began to form on the internet. Um, for just for the layman at home, 1689. Uh -huh. Was the year that what happened? Uh, the second London Baptist Confession was published. Okay. Yeah. So 1689 federalism is claiming that this is the actual covenant theology of um, those 17th century English Baptists that distinguished them from the, the Pado Baptists there so in England. You've recovered something that was seemingly lost. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating because it was um it was I mean it was lost. <laughs> it was like it was it was lost and Renahan went and did a lot of good kind of primary research historical theology, brings a bunch of texts, situates uh 1689 covenant theology within Pado uh, conversations of the time. Like he basically he uh, a lot of the reformed Baptists will talk about John Owen. John Owen doesn't take the Mosaic covenant as an administration of the covenant of grace. He basically takes it as a third thing. The um, so um, where, um, say, kind of your standard Pado view is going to say that the Mosaic Covenant is an administration of the Covenant of Grace. So the Baptists jumped into that conversation in the 17th century England, and then they said, yes, uh, Moses is a tertium quid, and then they walked back that idea into the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant also was a tertium quid. The Abrahamic Covenant was also not an administration of the Covenant of Grace. Yep. Therefore, you say God was making a real covenant with Abraham, but it concerned physical land of Canaan, um, some kind of physical blessing, children, and physical children were included in that covenant. Everybody agrees. Uh, everybody agrees on that point, Pado and Credo. Uh, the children are in, they're receiving the sign of the covenant, circumcision. But that um, having walked back the tertium quid idea from the Mosaic to the Abrahamic, they now you lose the force of the paradigm. Okay. Well, if it's one covenant of grace differently administered and the kids are in in the old and the kids needs, need to be in in the new – but the credo position says, yeah, but it wasn't an administration of the covenant of grace. It was rather a shadow of some sense, maybe somehow typifying this covenant of grace reality um, that would be inaugurated in the blood of Christ. But for substance itself was not the same with the new covenant. Simply, now the substance is here. Things, things it's not one substance differently administered. That's okay. not the structure. And therefore, you have an argument to say physical children were included because it was just merely a physical covenant. God was not covenanting eternal life um, there in the Old Testament. Uh, it was being promised to those who had faith to see it, to look beyond what the covenant was to the, to the greater reality. But the children being included was associated with the actual substance of the covenant on the ground in Abraham, which was not the covenant of grace, right. which was not one for substance with the new covenant. So that's the paradigm and uh, lots of arguments to support that. And then more books that have come out about this. It's still probably, um, you know, comparatively speaking, it's a smaller, it's, it's a far smaller um, amount of content than the, than the Pado. But I was there for um, a good while and wonderful brothers in that system. Um, 
so the way I was looking at my children at that time, I would say um, we thought of our children as holy because Paul in the New Testament says that they are. And but I didn't think that meant in the covenant of grace. Yeah. And I knew baptism associated with that. So holy in some shadowy sense. Um holy <laughs> I don't know that I would have said in a shadowy <laughs> sense. Um yeah. but yes, uh so they're holy. Um they're very much in in that sense. Um, but I had this workaround well, I was like, covenant of grace is revealed and inaugurated, and this is different than dispensationalism because, hey, the covenant of grace is actually doing something back here. It's just doing something kind of uh, – um, it's being communicated by shadow. Yeah. Um, it's somehow the blessings of Christ are being uh, delivered back there, still is, in some way connected to this covenant of grace that's not yet inaugurated. So in that framework, when you say the kid, kids are holy, Paul says they are. Are they holy in the same sense as like Old Testament unique holy saints? As in, they're not participating in the substance that is now here at the New Covenant. Does that make sense? Were they be right. considered like um, I wouldn't that sort have, of? I wouldn't have said that, and I wouldn't have had a real answer. I would have just said, the Bible says they're holy. They're holy. <laughs> yeah, that's that what good. I did. Honestly, I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where I was, yeah, yeah, right, and, and right. the covenantal structure right. um, was not there. So, um, but then that changed. Is I, I knew, what was weird is I knew that Renahan had done marvelous work. Uh, Richard Barcellus has also done marvelous work. There's, there's, there's several out there that are doing this kind of good um, plowing of 1689 Federalist position. Um, but I knew at the same time, like, boy, this is a recovery and some of the best people haven't really hit this. This is going to be really interesting to see how it shakes down. Um, and there's different positions within the Reformed Baptist world on covenant theology. There's different nuances. Some people want to talk about a dichotomous covenant of, of we won't get into all that, but there's just different, kind of different roads. Nevertheless, um, I became convinced that the covenant with Abraham indeed was the covenant of grace. And God didn't Which merely- Which is the one covenant- uniquely one covenant differently administered yeah. so i basically adopted a traditional pedo structure um and with that very often you know there 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 have been some that have held to one covenant two administrations and found a way to say well we're still not going to be pedo baptist and baptized infants um but the weight of that paradigm is heavy and if the covenant of grace indeed was made with abraham and his children his natural children and they received the sign of circumcision because they were in that covenant of grace um, that carries over into the new covenant. So you're you're touching on there like ways in which if someone has been driving, listening to us, they're like, whoa, I don't know what I, I hope to get to the conclusion because to find out what now this means for me, it sounds like a lot. But you're just touching now on like what it means for that person, whether it means a lot for baptism. And who gets baptized. Right. Um, so let's come back to covenant in a second. But for someone also listening who hasn't obviously read your book, this book is called The Case for the Christian Family. Mm -hmm. What have you been talking about? And is that related to the book? <laughs> well, yes. The subtitle is called The Covenantal Solution for the Dissolving American Family. Okay. So uh, this little covenant run that we just took yeah. is, is intimately related to this idea of a Christian family. I don't know. I was. I think it was recently. Jonathan Lehman said, "I don't know if he objects to calling a family Christian, or maybe he doesn't object <laughs> to it hardly. Sure. Uh, maybe he doesn't object to it. But I mean, that conversation was very much there with the whole Christian nationalism conversation, Christian family, and Christian schools, and what can you call Christian and what can't you call Christian? As in, 
maybe the people in the family are Christians, but could you call the whole of it right? Do you, is that is that a legitimate way? Same uh, thing to with speak? schools or a nation, as you mentioned. Right, and of course, if there's an infant, um, what does it mean that they're covenant children? And yeah. um, then the language of Christian applied to them as a whole. So the case of the Christian family is saying, um, yes, what Joshua said when he said, as for me and my house, we will yeah. serve the Lord, that um, there's a lot to that. That's something that we need to recover. Um, there's a whole world that needs to be recovered within that. But this is an actual, um, this is this is this is something that we see in Scripture. Yeah, so if you see that as sort of, that's where we need to get back to, what, what do you, describe to me, what is the dissolving American family? If not the Joshua. <clears throat> uh, sure. What, then what do we have currently? Yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's a very easy case to be made that the American <laughs> family is dissolving. I mean, like, you know, what? well, well I mean, I don't sure. know, prove your point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, but I key in on a Burgerfell. Okay. Uh, a is just, it is disastrous, and uh, you know, we don't know how disastrous it is because we're still hyper individualist Americans, even the Christians. Like we think in atomized ways, yep. and we don't actually know about this this hierarchical structure that exists called the family. It's like okay. we don't um, we we're still bought into like voluntary associations. Um, you know, uh, everything is based on on the my will, my decision, and you don't realize no. It, there's actual structure there, and then it's a divinely established structure. And so Obergefell just obliterates that. And now we're living in a world pretending like that structure doesn't exist, but that structure continues to exist. Now all of your laws are being based off of uh, a figment of your imagination, which is contrary to nature, contrary to what God has established. So Obergefell did that. I, I cite Pavin v. Smith. It's an interesting case coming out of Arkansas. Um, in the wake of a Obergefell. So Obergefell says two men can get married, two women can get married, and then immediately that has parental um, implications. Yep. Because there was a law in Arkansas that said if your wife is artificially inseminated with a random man's semen. Okay. 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 If that happens. Yeah. Um, well, she's the mother of the child, but yeah. who's who's the daddy, right? That's the question. Um, the Arkansas statute says that the um, the man that the woman's married to okay. is the daddy. Okay. His name goes on the birth certificate. Okay. Okay. Which is um, as convoluted as the artificial reproductive technologies is. That's um, that's a that's the right play in that situation. Wedlock um, Means. is far more significant okay. than we think about parental um, realities, parental authority, responsibility. We think, again, kind of the, our modern individualist presuppositions are operating here, but we say, you know, go get the, go get the paternity test and we'll find out who the real daddy is. That's how we, that's the primary instinct we have in these kind of situations. Um, this is decades of the Mari show. <laughs> decades of, <laughs> of the Mari show. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, um, Arkansas had a statute that was you know, contrary to that. No, there's something. There's something here in this wedlock. There's this man is the head. Christians would understand this language. He's the head. She's his body. Yeah. Um, and she's pregnant with child. So the parental authority is going to go to the put the put the father's name on the birth certificate. But now we have a case in Arkansas with two yep. women. 
Okay. Right? Engaged in th- um, this imaginary lesbian yes. marriage union post Obergefell. And one of the women is artificially inseminated with a random man's semen. And so her name, the lady who's pregnant with a child, uh, supplied the egg. You know, she's the mother, clearly. And but who's who's the daddy? And they wanted uh, the lesbian partner yeah. uh, to be listed as a parent on the birth certificate. And Arkansas said, "Nothing doing. We're not doing it." Uh, that went to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court says, "Hey, according to your own statute, um, you have made parental authority." more than biology right you've made it about wedlock and post obergefell which grants all of these rights um to wedlock gen- genuine wedlock you have no right to withhold the signature of you know the parental responsibilities of the lesbian partner and so she's granted that and uh what this means is that we're drifting into this um parental intent view intent of parenting i intend to be the parent so therefore i am the parent and we're losing um both the natural and the covenantal um, which ought to be um together the covenantal and the natural we get into that a little bit ought to ought to run together um we've we've not only stripped those and lost the covenantal entirely we're now losing the natural as well and so the family's just absolutely falling apart. The the Christians that are engaged in any kind of family law know that it's like they're like this is like this is not only like operating on somebody with multiple sucking chest wounds. This is like operating on someone with multiple sucking chest wounds who had an incompetent surgeon two weeks ago hook all of the insides up in the wrong way. Right. Like this is they're trying to figure out who who who's responsible. Who do we go to? And we just have no no clue. So family's so falling apart. Let's run that out with the intent piece. What is the end of the reductio? How do you see this going? Um, like if nothing changes, yeah. If your book goes unheeded, yeah. Well, <clears throat> I say this. I, I um, I pause it in the in the opening of the book. As they say, Joe Biden sends you know Department of Family, Children and Family to your house, and they're going to inform you that your children don't belong to you anymore. And we. I want you to know that your children don't yeah. belong to you, which is the I, I think that is the the end of the road okay. for the structure that we already have. Like the what we've already done, what's operating um, right now implies you're here. Just give it time. Give that thing time in the oven. Now God can come in and intervene, and things can change, and it will take time to cook up that particular recipe. But that's where we're going. And what do you um, mean that they don't belong to them? Or flesh that out a little bit more. Well, they're ultimately going to be they're ultimately going to belong to the state and it won't be a the family won't be a pre-political reality. It's got to be a post-political reality now because we've reduced parenthood to intent. So because intent. it's intent, if the state says, "Well, we intend to raise your children." Uh-huh. Is that what it is? It's like a like a is it is that what is that why they don't belong to them? Um they okay, they don't belong to them because in truth Children are a heritage from the Lord. Correct. Period. Right. Period. And if you true if you lose that truth yeah. that God opens and closes the womb, and it's a miracle, they're a heritage from the Lord. Yep. If you lose that truth, then you're done. Then you're you're going to end up with the state determining who they belong to. Okay. There's no um and and I make this claim. I think I give two 
two ways that a Christian even might um, misunder uh, might approach that DCF encounter in the wrong way. Uh, the first would be to say, well, actually, I, I write that, you know, the man would point to his 12-gauge shotgun and remind state yeah. that they do belong to me, which I think right. that's great. And yeah. may your tribe increase if you say that kind of thing. Yeah. But, but then beyond that, you say, um, um, look, I intend to be their father. They have a roof over their head. I feed them, Got right? It. So you've reduced it to my intent, um, individual intent, yep. not statist intent so when that father goes to look at like what arguments and justifications do i have right he can't he can no longer point to like well where i i marry or at least when he appeals to marriage it means something different now right and now he's just left with what you're saying is in i intend to i intend to be and my point is that um that's fine but it's not enough you need more that's my point yeah that that worldview of personal intent uh, flows to statist intent. Got it. That's my argument. And okay. you're, it's not going to be sufficient. It's not okay. sufficient, and it never was sufficient to be the only um, lever that you have, the only ground upon which you stand. Got it. The, the second is closely related, but it's more of a, it's more of a, well, look at their eyes. They have my eyes. Look at their facial features. They have my, go get the paternity test. I'll show you that they are actually my, my blood. Um, but... My argument is that's not sufficient either. This the idea of natural is not going to be enough, and um, the because case, that woman went and got semen from some random man, and that random man is not intending to be a father in the lesbian situation. Right. Well, I think what's what somebody's going to say to that is, hey, that guy didn't didn't want to be the father. Got he it. just provided semen. He did not which, intend to be. Right. So, <laughs> um, but take it to another situation. Take it. To, to, to prove the point that this natural biological, as precious as it is and as true as it is, and as right of a point it is to make to the yep. DCF agent. All of these points are right. I'm just saying they're not sufficient. This For is our why current world. This is why we need the covenantal solution, not just the biological solution. Um, let's take a guy. You have a, a, a random single man, Jeff, and um, he commits adultery with a married woman and impregnates her. Okay. Who's the daddy? Right? Uh, biologically considered, Jeff is the father. Mari um, would say Jeff. Mar yeah, Mari would say Jeff. Um, Arkansas Code, right? An older common law tradition. And, um, and the right position is to say, well, that's a woman who's bound in wedlock and has a head. So the first rights of parental authority and responsibility belong to the head to her husband to her husband the head of the of the body in whom there is now a child and i think that has huge implications i think that's the right position that's the covenantal position that's the that's the covenantal position again and this is um i think this is this is how we ought to be thinking about such a case that man now the man who who committed adultery has a duty Right, and we talk sure. about all the biblical responsibilities he has. Right. He has to provide all of that kind of stuff, but he has no authority. He is not the covenant head. He's not the legitimate father of that child. I would say that the husband has first rights of adoption. And you could run this further if he, if the husband puts his wife away, which he would have grounds to do yep. based on her adultery, then she would, then the woman would become the head of the child. Still not Jeff, um, unless she then chooses. 
Right. Unless there's some, and, something with Jeff. Right. Later. Right. So, um, so now I don't, I don't want the point to be then that this natural and biological means nothing. It's, it's remarkably important. I write in the book that um, the natural family and the covenantal family ought to be together like the largemouth bass swimming down the river. You know, yeah. th these are the two things. There are occasions where the largemouth bass jumps out, the yeah. natural biological family, and you realize, okay, there is something covenantal. The stream is covenantal. And there are times where that really evidences itself, like in the situation I just mentioned. Right. Um, but we, we don't want to say, we don't want to uh, introduce any discord into a very harmonious relationship. And we don't want to, um, speak bad or poorly about the natural family. Uh, right. We're in a time where we're looking at Romans one, everybody's doing what's contrary to nature. Now's the time to give three cheers for nature, yep. but we need to do that while talking about, um, this recovery of the covenantal family. Right. So covenantal just has... It has the authority. It has a hierarchy, the higher, higher, higher hierarchy over natural. But I imagine a lot of people that just listened to your example. This happened on the first draft of your book with me. Of like, my gut all of a sudden was just like, "Oh, Jeff's kid. It's Jeff's kid." Right. And this is this is because, and this is where I go in the next chapter of the book. Is uh, it's all marriage. We don't understand what marriage is. Yeah. We don't understand what wedlock is. We think um, it's nothing but a voluntary association, as we think, well, you know, not my president, my a voluntary relationship to my nation, you know, not my church, voluntary relationship to my church, yep. not my family, voluntary relation to my family. But that's not going all the way back to marriage. Marriage is not merely um, the product of the will of the parties involved. Intentions. Intentions, not even the vows. It's not merely the the product of the vows. Now, the vows are an essential ingredient, right. um, yet God is the one who joins them together. It's a divine joining. This is why we have same-sex mirage, uh, the whole thing going on. We keep calling it same-sex mirage because it's not real. It's yeah. actually not a real thing. It, it right. doesn't matter if you do the vows. It doesn't matter if you have the papers because we live in a world where God himself actually joins things together. He binds things together or he doesn't bind things together. And that's that's the very foundation for understanding this covenantal family idea, the implications for children, going all the way to what a Christian family is, is to say, when Jack and Jill get married, um, Jack Thompson, Jill Williams, when Jack and Jill get married, there is now, there's still Jack and Jill, there's still individuals before the face of God, but there's also the Thompsons, this one thing. It's a one thing. Uh, the two have become one, and God deals with them as one. There's a head of the right. Thompson. God deals with them in that fashion. Which I think goes in a, to the point of your book, underappreciated in how weird covenant is. Oh, super weird. It's not merely a, I came a out contract. Of, I came out of, when I came out yeah. of the, when I came out of the Baptist thing, you know, if you I'd say immediately, like, well, what about adoption? Like, you telling me like the pagan family and like Christian man adopts them and when he adopts them, you baptize them? And you're like, yeah. You're like, what? Like, whoa. <laughs> like, let me figure out how you're talking about, yeah. like, what is this covenantal thing? What is this family? But it goes to Job sacrificing for his children. Right. Like, was that right or wrong? <clears throat> say, well, there, there's a sense For something of, they may have done in their heart. Yeah. Right. Well, there's a... There's a um, the father's house keeps coming up in the Old Testament. That kind of language is used. Yeah. Um, I already mentioned Joshua as for me and my house. You have the apostles in the New Testament who go to the Philippian jailer, right? And they say to the Philippian jailer, um, believe in the Lord Jesus 
and you will be saved and your house. And you're like, yep. what in the world? Who talks you know, like, like that? Yeah. I, who talks like that? Like, so I've, I think I wrote in the book, I've been an evangelical my whole life. I'm so grateful for even the, just a straightforward evangelical spirit. I am an evangelical, but I'm thinking like evangelistic, evangelical, yeah. Billy Graham crusades. I went to a Billy Graham crusade when I was young at Tampa Bay, you know, stadium where the Bucks play and yeah. just, you know, just all of that. And, and gospel calls as minister of the Lord, calling people to the gospel. But I'm thinking in all my life, I've never heard a minister say, like, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your house. And you're like, what in the world? Now, yeah. much has to be said about the exegesis of that text. Of course, the apostles sure. go immediately and they they teach the Bible and preach the gospel to everyone in the house, the, of the, all of that. Any any claim that this is some kind of um, magic that's going to that's gonna happen without the word of God, without faith and without obedience is all nonsense. So all of that granted and you say but still like have you ever heard that said and right. you're like and it no, not be treated as like what well, you're saying that pharisaical presumption that jesus said you're not in just because you're you know in right. israel i'll make y'all make the rocks abraham's kids right how about that this is a um this is just a we have individualistic presuppositions that we're bringing to the text right and it um, that's no, the thing I want to often say is I'm, I'm not trying to hit on, um, the fact that you're an individual, you are an individual, individuals before the face of God. Um, any individual that doesn't have faith is going to hell at the end of the day, yep. period. Make sure that's really clear. Yep. So you have all, you can say all of these things and say, let me think about what the Bible's saying about this corporate entity, this marriage. Like, is what is this? And then you take it to an ecclesiological position, say, this one new man, we are, there's one new man, one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What is, what's going on there? So uh, although this book is not um, on doctrine of the church, it does push into the kingdom of God um, in the later chapters. After you establish what the covenantal family is, yep. then you start to think about the relationship of that covenantal family to the other covenantal families that are in the kingdom of God. Yeah, I think it was Doug who said, you know, the hardest part about the covenantal world is it all just starts sounding like covenantal PB&J and like covenantal, covenantal. Uh-huh. It's just one big like wash ever after a while. It's just like, all right, covenantal. Yeah. Um, you so you're a little bit hard up against it here with uh the marketing of the covenantal family. Uh I'm curious if do you think will Baptists like this? Like let's say people that still appreciate you and your work, is this book for them in a way that's like you'll enjoy it, or is this book for them in a way is like this is your sword before the waters of Pado Baptism and you're no, They're I coming for them. I hope they will enjoy it. I think I think they will. Um, there's going to be areas of disagreement, but that's why you write books. You write books to try to yeah. refine ideas and challenge people, challenge people's um, thinking. So I I do think it will. Um, it'll be the kind of work that a lot of people in the 1689 Baptist world. Uh, I think it's worth them taking a look at it. Sweet. Uh, obviously, when I made the switch, I did. I mean, I just got a text. I uh, told you about yeah. before we started from yeah. a buddy. It's like, hey, my best buddy in college is wrestling with the Baptist thing. Can he talk to you? You know, he seems to be on his trajectory to go to Pato. And that um, that transition is super weird. Um, sure. I think for for ever for anyone that really is like is thinking it through, is working it through, and and then 
coming over. Um, and in some sense, it might be like the more you know about it, the weirder it gets. <laughs> I think it's probably that. There's people yeah. that just they just look at it. Some I've known people that go to the paid position. It's just like it made sense to me. I mean, the kids are they're they're in, you know. <laughs> yeah. But others are doing nuanced arguments yeah. about what's the nature of the covenant of grace right. and what is the nature of an administration and all of these. So I um it's a short book. It's it's um I think it's quite accessible. Okay. But it is it is going in. I'm punching in there. I'm going for a pretty detailed argument of the covenant of grace and how I understand what that covenant of grace is, and then supporting that definition of the covenant of grace with biblical with biblical text, talking about the different aspects of the definition that I supply, and then trying to run that that definition all the way through. Yeah. Um, so I think the people that are um, aware on the doctrinal front are going to look at that and and have to deal with it maybe they'll find it compelling maybe um many of them will find issues with how i'm describing that um and i think folks that are more kind of laymen lay women in the church that are thinking about it can benefit from this um without yeah. without this is not simply a case like oh i have to go to be a pedo baptist now if I agree with the large portion of what Jared said, sure, you can sure. still, you can believe um, tons of what I said in here and not be led to infant baptism. There's tons of objections you could bring up down yeah. downstream. So Baptist pastors shouldn't be on the lookout. Like they see one of their parishioners with your book. No, I mean, you know. I, yeah, they probably <laughs> yeah. will be, but you, you don't, you don't have to be. I don't I, I was just thinking while you're talking about that, uh, I feel like the Christian life is like a pretty weird one in what it asks of you as just a normal person in the, like a normal parishioner. Let's say you, you know, you're in sales somewhere, but the Christian life like demands of you that you should like consider this old book. And there's a couple things you got, you got to work with this is like covenants and uh, you've got your family. And in the Old Testament, they were all in, seemingly. It hurt a lot, but you were in. And then, but also you got to track with how Jesus relates to that. You know, you're a New Testament believer. I don't think there's any other life that requires such like, you got to have your BT down. <laughs> or at least looking into it, learning like how to get it down. Your systematics. And then like now you're telling me like this applies to law. Like, you know, if I get in a legal situation... How does all of this apply to the legal situation? The oh, yeah, Christian right. life is wild. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very funny. Like, who else is dealing with all these systematic BT, legal, all these kinds of things? And they're just like, I'm just in sales. I'm you just know? in sales, like, man. You know? And I've got, I, well, I've that's got why, kids, you know? That's why, that's why, I, that's why it's only 119, 120 two pages so it's it's short because the person's in sales that's the yeah. goal of the teacher was to like let me try to consolidate all of this and make it so you can digest it but it is true man that's because christians we exercise dominion from the beginning god said like he's like i meant it like lots for you to consider lots yeah, for you to do it's, here it's not just for you know the priests to work out and to have like diagrams like it's meant for like tim in sales like, Tim in sales man he's got kids and in <laughs> you know, he's got to figure that out. That's right. It's well, awesome. Especially you, you mentioned, you know, Tim and he, Tim with kids. Some of this is headship. Like there, right. there is, and that's um, kind of baked all throughout this book. It, it's not only is it a huge responsibility to be a Christian, and you have a huge responsibility to be a husband and a father. Yep. You actually realize, like, oh, 
you mean like this is a unit and and i'm in charge like i'm the head so i've got to intercede for all of these yeah. i've got to provide protect lead care shepherd nurture i'm doing all that right i last week we talked with pastor wilson about his documentary and we we brought in a little bit of his book new book on covenant you guys are both doing covenant books a lot of covenant from canon press um but what it seems like as much as the you got to be a systematician bible guy all these things but at the end of the day it seemed like the thrust of pastor wilson's exhortation was like covenant means for the head of the family a lot of responsibility and that job was actively being responsible for his very grown kids Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like maybe i'm going to take responsibility for the sin in their hearts that they may have committed in their hearts i'm just actively doing it like there's a lot of work to be doing here Mm -hmm. there's no like coasting uh slacking off spiritually like this is serious that's it. Would you have a similar exhortation? Oh yeah. At the end of the day, with covenant, what what is what do you want people to know with covenant, Baptist or Pado Baptist? Yeah. Well, the responsibility thing is uh, central, and we're just not prone to think that way. That's not how you know. You got if you raise sons, you're like here you are you're raising sons, and, and then you're single for a while in life, and you yeah. kind of you think, well, providing for myself is hard enough, you know. And then, <laughs> yeah. and it's like then you take a wife, and you're like. Whoa. You've never done this before. Yeah. Like, yeah. what are you going to do now? Like, yeah. this isn't like a roommate buddy that you're leading. Well, I led a I led a youth group Bible study of the boys. It's like, well, great. Now you're leading a woman. Like, this is a whole different right. game. And then Who you're responsible come. for, right? In a way that you're not to those boys. Yeah. And the Apostle Paul, uh, New Testament says, "Death is at work in us, and life in you." And you know that could be the just a banner over top of the book for the husbands and fathers. This yeah. is what this means. You know, death is at work in us and life in you, life in the family. Just intercede, pray, trust the Lord, uh, pray more, govern, pay attention, see what's going on. Their spiritual welfare is the thing that you are constantly after. Um, And you uh, covenantally, you can say, okay, um, God is our God. I've I've said this before. I think some of the trouble in American evangelicalism and the disintegration of the family is there are extremely well-meaning saints, extremely well-meaning husbands and fathers who desperately want spiritual blessing upon their children, but they don't want to presume upon God. Yep. They, they, they think that the child is outside, right? And so it's constant prayers for um, for their salvation, by which they mean their justification, so yep. theologically ordo saluta stuff. And so you're kind of you're in this state of just continually praying for their justification, teaching them to act right, just in a, in a natural. We're just you need to act yep. right, but but not not really thinking about the discipleship and the nurture, this covenantal nurture. Um, and and growth of a godly man from the jump because he's got to get in first and he's right. categorically not in, and so there's just a lot of prayer for justification, save, and hopefully one of the paradigm shifts. Is I want to give them an idea of saying, oh no, but the kid is in from the jump, and that doesn't mean you're presuming uh, individual heart active regeneration in the child. You actually have this category of covenant which God says I am your God and you are my people. So you can you can say um when you're leading family worship, right? The question is, can you say 
to a to a host whole family, wife, bunch of children, all the way down to a little one year old, two year old, four year old. You know, can you say to the whole family, um, God is our God first? Okay, I think most people are there, right? Jesus is our Savior. Yep. Yes. And when you work in your catechism with them, right? Um, uh, Christ executes the office of a priest in his once offering up himself, a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and making continual intercession for us. All the kids sound that off. And then the little one says, Dad, is that true? Is, is Christ making intercession for us? Like all of us here in the family? Um, I don't think a, a very faithful credo Baptist the, the shakes down. Maybe they find a way. I, my encouragement is to find a way to say, yes, all of us. Right. And, and then say, well, what, how do you, the one-year-old still has to have faith in Christ, right. To be yep. saved. And you say, yes. And the covenant can gives us um, the ability to say yes. And God is our God and Jesus is our savior and our priest and our King and our Lord. Yeah. You, you have this nurture structure that's set up and then you raise them in that faith um, from the very beginning. Cause we're the Maccatees and this is what we do. Yes. Yeah. There you go. All and right. everything else is in the book. All right. You need Jared. to add to that everything else in the book. Thanks for coming on. Thanks Appreciate for it, me. man.